But guys, we have um, we started at the beginning of this year with a series called Unseen Power, where we've been looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives of faith. And uh, we've covered a lot of stuff. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, we have a ton of stuff still to cover uh, that we're probably going to be taking the remainder of this year to do that. Um, but we're going to take a break from it um, next week and on till the beginning of June. Okay, We're going to take a little break from the Spirit series. Uh, we got one more day today, and then we're going to move into some other stuff. But uh, today, and by the way, in, this, in the June month, we're going to be going through the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, I told you we're going to try to work through that, kind of work through all the spirits, or all the gifts and try to look at what they are and how they um, can be used to extend the kingdom of God. So we'll look into that in June. And then uh, we'll have our family Sunday series throughout the summer. And then in the fall, we're going to pick up, we're going to spend the entire fall looking at how do we walk by the Spirit. Because remember that verse that says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So that's an important thing that we need to learn how to do. All right, today's going to be a bit of an unusual sermon because we're going to be talking about some negative aspects of how the church has been behaving in regards to the Holy Spirit. And you know, I, I kind of almost hesitated to even preach this, this sermon because, um, well, I, I didn't want to tick anybody off or to upset anybody um, or to step on some people's toes, but I tell you, it is needed in our world today because so many people are being deceived in many ways in regards to the Holy Spirit. And uh, I felt that as your pastor, which another word for pastor is shepherd, as your shepherd, it is my duty to protect the flock at Whitestone, to look out for you in regards to what the enemy is trying to do. And so I, I really felt like I needed to bring this out in the open and discuss the issues going on and, and just kind of how we should be standing on it in light of Scripture. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Now... I warn you, uh, some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, it is going to weird some of you guys out. I mean, there's going to be some, some of you who are hearing things today that you have never, ever heard of this going on before, and you're going to be like, what in the world is this? Uh, there will be some of you who have heard this before, but you haven't paid much attention to it. And then there are also going to be some of you here today who have actually experienced some of this stuff before. So, as I said, in sharing what we're going to be looking at today, uh, it's not my intention to offend anyone, but to simply share what I feel Scripture sheds light on in regards to these things, and hopefully we can come to some godly, sensible solutions. Now, if that's not a lead-in to a sermon, I don't know what is. You guys are kind of like, what in the world are we going to talk about today? This is crazy. But uh, to, before we start this conversation out, I do want to share some of the tension in the church today in regards to the Holy Spirit uh, there has been a movement in the church for decades and decades uh, uh, called the Charismatic Movement. And the Charismatic Movement is a movement focusing on experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now remember how I mentioned that we have cessationists who don't believe that the gifts are available, at least a lot of them aren't available today. And then we have the continuous side of the debate where they believe that all the gifts are available well, the charismatic movement happens to fall in the continualist camp, okay? And charismatics believe that all the gifts are still available, but the charismatic movement hugely focuses on the experience of the Holy Spirit. They are all about experiencing Him, which 
on the surface sounds pretty good, but we're going to see how it's gotten a bit out of hand today. Now, this movement has been met with quite a bit of opposition from conservative Christianity because there has been so much of it that has been out of control. And because of this out of control mentality, many Christians and denominations even have rejected it and want nothing to do with it. Um, the word charismatic has almost become a bad word in, in churches today. When somebody calls themselves a charismatic, people's red flags go up and they're like, okay, what does that mean? What do you really stand for? And they get all freaked out about it. Um, every cessationist would never want to be called a charismatic, um, and many continualists wouldn't even want that to be a title that they're, they're given. It really carries that negative of a connotation. Which is ironic because when you think of the word charismatic, actually in the Greek is charismata, which charis means grace and mata is uh, little portions of. So really it's little portions of God's grace. And every single one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are technically charismatics because we believe that the Spirit of God has poured out little portions of His grace on us. Okay, And that's how we live out the Christian life. But the word itself has taken on a negative connotation because people attach other stuff to it. Now generally speaking, and I am speaking in generalities here, uh, this isn't always the case, but charismatics, generally speaking, are known for putting experience above the Word of God. Uh, they may not say this, but experience often trumps what Scripture says in their thinking. Uh, even though you may not be able to find it in Scripture or back it up in the Word of God, if it feels right and it feels good, then it must be from God. And they often just go for it. And, and that's where you can get into a lot of problems and a lot of confusion and, and a lot of, you know, just things just all in disarray. And that's why the charismatic movement is met with so much resistance by so many Christian um, groups and denominations. It's that reason right there. So the question we need to figure out today is, is this concern really valid or not? Um, you know, what are these things and are they really something we should be concerned with? So we're going to take some time to look at this stuff going on and see for ourselves whether it really is something that honors God or not. Um, but before we do that, I want to just kind of leave us, I want to start out by just giving us three statements. And these three statements are going to be what we're going to filter these things through. Um, if they don't pass through the filter, we don't want them. And the first statement is this. While the Christian life is meant to be experienced, it should never fall out of the confines of Scripture's parameters. Okay? Now, yes, the Christian life is a life of experience. We are experiencing a relationship with our unseen God. We can't see Him, but we experience Him. Every relationship that you are in is an experience. So yes, of course, we're to be experiencing this unseen God. But the reality is, if that experience falls out of the confines or parameters that Scripture sets up, then we cannot say that it comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay? If it doesn't line up with what we see saints of God experiencing throughout the history of mankind, then we, can be, we need to be very suspect of it. Okay? Statement number two. We do not commandeer the Holy Spirit for our purposes the Holy Spirit commandeers us for His purposes. Now what I mean by that is that God does not allow us to take Him over. He doesn't just say, yeah, you can take me over and do whatever you want with me. No, He takes us over because guys, remember, we're to be extending His kingdom, 
not, not us extending our kingdom. Okay? That's what he's using us for is to extend his kingdom. Statement number three. Anything that does not bring glory to Christ, whether it be through living a life, what you're saying or experience, should be considered not of the Holy Spirit. Anything that does not bring glory to Jesus Christ in any one of these categories, then you need to be saying it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. Remember how we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, the tests that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul said we need to be testing the spirits, discerning the spirits, seeing whether they are of God or not. Um, well, that is true. We need to hold these things up. Do they really give glory and honor to Jesus Christ, whether it be through what they say or their lives or, or, or what they experience or not? Because if it does not, it will not be coming from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's number one role is to bring honor and glory to Christ. So that's a very important filter. Okay, so this is the filter we should run things through to decide whether they are from God or not. And if they aren't of God, we as a church here at Whitestone don't want anything to do with it. Okay, so let's talk about some of these things going on in the churches today. And of course, I'm not going to be able to, to discuss every single one of them in full detail. We're not going to have time to do that, uh, to debate them, nor are we going to be able to look at all of them today. Uh, but hopefully you're going to get kind of a gist of things, um, and all these things that we're going to talk about today will fall primarily in the realm of the charismatic movement. Okay, And the charismatic movement will call them manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which means that they are, in a sense, revealings or outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And they believe that the Holy Spirit is being manifested through these phenomenons, and therefore the Holy Spirit is to be experienced, so therefore these manifestations need to be practiced and endorsed and condoned within the churches because they believe them to be true. Okay, So let's look at these things and see for ourselves. First thing I want us to look at this morning the first manifestation that we want to talk about is holy laughter. Now, holy laughter is being so overcome by the Spirit that you laugh uncontrollably. Okay. Now, I know this sounds kind of crazy, and you're like, really? There's such a thing? Yes, this actually happens. When Often in church services, someone will start laughing uncontrollably, and then it begins to spread throughout the entire congregation, and the next thing you know, everybody's just sitting there laughing. Some are falling on the ground and laughing, and it's just going on all over the place. And this will sometimes go on for hours and hours. Now, these people will tell you that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives them this holy laughter, and it's all to bring them joy and happiness. Because religion seems to always be about sin and condemnation, and so God just wants to give you some holy laughter so that you can be happy. So the next thing you know, you have this whole congregation, they're just sitting there laughing. Sometimes they stand up and they're stumbling around and, and just you know laughing and laughing uncontrollably. Now I know there may be some of you sitting here today is, you know, thinking to yourselves, well, I kind of wish you had a little bit of that, Luke, because as boring as you are, we could use a little holy laughter in this place, and I get that. And some of you guys are thinking, well, my wife at 1 a.m. is a little bit like this, so maybe she has some holy laughter. And guys, um, maybe you're right about that, but here's the deal. I want you to notice that word, uncontrollable laughter. I want you to look at this verse behind me and tell me, what is one of the, one of the, what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. Exactly. 
Many people who have experienced this holy laughter will compare it to being drunk. They say it's like being inebriated, but you're just enjoying it. It's just so awesome, and you just laugh. It's like being drunk. Now, I've seen a lot of drunk people in my day before, and being drunk, in my opinion, is not a picture of self-control. And just listen to me. Just because you call something holy does not make it holy. So you can call it holy laughter, but that doesn't mean that it is holy laughter. And guys, listen to me. You will not find any scriptural evidence of holy laughter in the Bible. You will not. Nowhere in Jesus' ministry or Paul's ministry or any of the apostles' ministry will you see evidence of holy laughter. And why is that? Because I don't believe that it comes from the Holy Spirit. I experienced this laughter one time, this uncontrollable laughter one time. Um, I was at church here alone one night, and I got a call from a mother, and she said, Luke, oh my word, my daughter is manifesting all these demons. I don't know what to do. Can we bring her to the church? And I said, yeah, bring her here. So her and her husband put her in the car. Her husband literally sat on her because she wanted to just jump out of the, the car, open the door and jump out while they were driving. And when they got out of the car, she gets out of the car, and guess what she was doing? Laughing. She was sitting there going, <laughs> and she's just kind of stumbling around. And then she took off running. We had to bring her back. She's laughing and laughing and laughing. We bring her into the church and we set her down in a chair and she's laughing. And all of a sudden the laughing stopped and she looked directly at us and her pupils were as big as her eyes. And she stared at you with this hatred like, I am going to kill you. And you're looking at it, and all of a sudden, boom, the laughter would kick back in, just, just uncontrollable laughter, and then it would kick back to the hate, back and forth. And guys, I'll tell you what, it was not holy laughter. It wasn't at all. You know, I've heard of this laughter breaking out in prayer meetings before where people are crying out to God, their Father, and asking Him to work, and suddenly someone fell on the ground and just started laughing uncontrollably. Now tell me, how much prayer do you think can happen when someone's on the ground just laughing uncontrollably? Not a whole lot. A lot of confusion there. I also heard of a church service going on and the pastor was speaking on hell. The topic of hell. A very serious, real topic in Scripture. And he was preaching on the topic of hell. All of a sudden, laughter began to erupt and the entire congregation began to laugh and laugh uncontrollably. Now tell me, guys, do you think the Holy Spirit considers hell a laughing matter? No, not in the least. In Whitestone, in my opinion, according to these filters that we've looked at, I do not think holy laughter is to be considered a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in any way, form, or fashion. It does not extend the kingdom of God in any way. Instead, in my opinion, it makes a mockery of it. So we need to be very, very careful of it. We need to keep our eyes open. Next manifestation that you'll see going on in a lot of these churches is being drunk in the Spirit. Um, and they'll be stumbling and staggering around under the power of the Holy Spirit is what they say. Now I'm giving you these definitions. These are the definitions they will give you. I don't personally agree with them, but this is what they'll say. Being drunk in the, in the Spirit. You know, certain ministers will actually encourage their congregation to drink of the Spirit, to, to get drunk. They're just like, drink, drink, take it. And he's like trying to pass it off to them, and they're just drink of it. Get drunk this morning. Get soaked up in the Holy Spirit. 
And the verse that they use to prove that, that what they're doing is biblical is Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, in my opinion, and forgive me if you don't agree with me on this, but in my opinion, a fourth grader could read that verse and tell you that that's not what that verse is saying. The verse is not saying, Hey guys, don't get drunk on wine. Get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Party with the Spirit. It's not saying that. No, it's saying that don't allow the alcohol in wine to control you to where you lose self-control. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, which by the way leads to self-control, so that you can live out a life pleasing to God. This has nothing to do with spirit drunkenness. Listen, anytime you see something where the person is giving up self-control, it most definitely has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. Because you want to know why? Self-control is a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Scripture tells us that. Not a lack of control. You know, often in these meetings, the pastor, a lot of times, doesn't even preach the Word of God. He'll simply walk around and he'll be blowing the spirit over the congregation and and you know laying hands on people and scooping the 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 holy spirit and dumping it on people and then this drunkenness you know begins and let me tell you you watch that stuff it's a little bit entertaining it looks like a circus and i know this sounds crazy you might some of you might be going what in the world it's true it's happening in churches around the world today But listen to me, the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit are meant to confirm what the Word of God was preached and prepare the hearts of those people to be able to hear the receive the Word. Never was the Holy Spirit ever to be used as for entertainment purposes. He's not someone that's just we have here to entertain us. And once again, never in in Jesus' ministry, never in Paul's ministry, never in any of the apostles' ministry, do you see being drunk in the Spirit? And once again, it doesn't, it doesn't stand the test of these filters. So therefore, I do not believe that being drunk in the Spirit is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It may be an evil spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. The next manifestation of the Spirit that seems to be a really big deal in charismatic churches today is being slain in the Spirit. To be knocked down to the ground by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know many of you have actually heard of this before. I've actually talked to some people this morning who have experienced this. Some have have said they've faked it. Some have said, "I, I think it was real. I don't know. But with all, all, this is a very common thing with all the televangelists out there. Now this has become somewhat of a mockery of Christianity. You'll see it in movies where they'll make fun of it, where they're like, in the name of Jesus, and they, they try to mock it. But this is what happens in those meetings. The speaker will get up there, and at the end of his talk, everybody will line up, and he will go down the line, smacking people's heads on the forehead, and they will fall to the ground. And the idea is that the speaker is so anointed with the Holy Spirit that when he touches someone in the crowd, the Spirit hits that person with such force, they fly backwards to the ground. They actually have catchers. 
people known as catchers who will stand behind each person, and they, when the guy hits them, they lower them down the ground. The next one, they lower them down the ground. They just go down the line. Next thing you know, there's hundreds of people lying on the ground. And some of these pastors really get into the dramatics. You can see some videos of it where they're, they're instead of just you know, laying the hands on, they're kind of going, bam, and they're on, boom, and they're taking a bat and pow with the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff like that. I'm not joking. They do that. It's literally a circus. So you might be asking, why, why is this happening? And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But I can tell you this, you cannot find any instance of this happening in Scripture. Trust me, there isn't. Those who support it, they will try to use all these different Scripture references to try to back it up, but none of them are even close to supporting this manifestation of what they call the Holy Spirit. Question for you. Did God ever knock anyone down who came to Him for ministry in the Bible? No. Now, you will see people in the Bible who in the presence of God fall to the ground in awe, but they fall face forward in awe, in holy reverence and prostrate before God. They don't fall backwards. Unconscious. Listen to me. Listen to this point. The Bible tells us that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. He had the Spirit without measure. You, you and I, we have portions of it, but He was given all the gifts, all the filling of the Holy Spirit, and no man has ever walked on this earth under the type of anointing that Jesus possessed. And yet not one person who came seeking an encounter with Jesus experienced the phenomenon of being slain with maybe the possible, except for maybe the possible exception of someone who was demonized, where they fell to the ground there, but that was just the evil spirit doing that, not Jesus. Neither did it happen under the ministry of Peter, or John, or Paul, or any of the other apostles. There's not one single example of someone being slain by the Spirit by the laying on of hands. You don't see in Scripture Jesus going, all right guys, line it up. And I'm going to go down and boom and bam and taking his cloak and whoosh, yeah, all right. He didn't do that. So you might be sitting here then and thinking to yourself, okay, Luke, then why do so many of these people fall? What's going on there? And once again, I, I can't answer that. I, I was not the person who fell, so I can't give you an answer, but I believe that there are several reasons that can add up to why so many people fall. And one is intimidation and coaching of the ministers, of the teachers, of the leaders. You know, a, a lot of ministers want to be well-known and especially you know, known for their anointing, this heavy anointing. They'll say, and Jojo has a real anointing of the Spirit of God. He really does. He's got some power. And they want to be known for that. And so they, they lay it on thick of how they want the crowd to act and you know, when they do what they do. And, and what most leaders don't understand, or at least I don't think they do, maybe they do, which is really sinister, um, they don't understand the pressure that they put on those that they minister to to manifest something that will validate their ministry. Neither do they understand how simple it is to deceive and control another person's mind and psychologically manipulate them without even really trying. 
And then when, when something doesn't happen, when they like go to slay someone in the spirit and they don't fall down, what they'll be do, they'll typically do is they'll shame them. They'll say, well, you're just, you're, you, something in you is stopping the spirit. You're not going to receive from God tonight. So this person kind of stands there and like, well, I must be spiritually inferior to everybody else here. If you don't manifest something, you don't get anything from God. Meaning you're spiritually inferior. Which, guys, when you think about that, all that does is encourage you know, people to fake a manifestation. You know, some ministers spend hours and hours telling stories and sharing testimonies of people being slain in the Spirit. Thus, conditioning those in their attendance with the power of suggestion. And in the prayer line, you are told exactly what to do in order to receive the Spirit. And what they fail to understand is the powerful power of suggestion. How powerful it really is. I have a buddy of mine who was actually on staff here a long time ago. And he went to Promise Keepers one time and he went down for prayer. And there was a guy who was going around and he was you know, slaying people by spirit. But he, was, he talked to the group first. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go walk down the line. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to hit you, you know, touch you on the forehead and you're going to fall down on the ground and there's going to be catchers behind you and they'll catch you. But you're going to experience the Spirit of God. And so sure enough, he starts going down the line. Everybody's falling, falling. And my friend's standing there. He sees everybody falling. He's kind of like, oh boy. You know, it came to him. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to fall. And he fell down. And he was laid to the ground. And, and that's the thing. It's a power of suggestion. And guys, not only that, there's peer pressure. Peer pressure is huge for this stuff. It's, it's expected of you. Everyone else is doing it, and if you don't, you're not going to appear as spiritual as the rest. When you're in a room filled with people who are expecting something to happen to you, the peer pressure is almost impossible to resist. And unfortunately, sometimes people who are insecure don't want to be left out or, or thought of as unspiritual, and so they will imitate what's happening all around them. Trust me, that happens all the time in Christianity. I've experienced it in my own life. I, I, how many of you guys grew up in real conservative Baptist kind of churches? All right. Do you guys remember what it was like after the sermon, the pastor would do an altar call? Every Sunday they would do an altar call. And the organist would be playing just as I am, and I think, I swear, there's like 29 verses of that just as I am, and they go through it over and over, and they say it one more time. And the pastor would be like, guys, are you sure you know Jesus? Are you sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven when you die? Do you sure that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you? And he'll go up there going on and on. And, and so much so that you're kind of going, well, I think I'm sure. I mean, I did this two weeks ago, but maybe I didn't do it right. And so you're sitting there, and then your friend Billy gets up, and he walks up, and you're like, Billy's doing it again? Well, maybe I'm like Billy. Maybe I didn't do it. And then Johnny gets up and you're like, oh, my, all my friends are going up. I'm like, I better go up too. And so you do it over and over. I must have gotten saved every two months. <laughs> I'm serious. That's, that's the kind of stuff. That peer pressure will do that. I got baptized because my friends were going to get baptized. I'm like, well, I want to I be like my friends. And the same is true of falling over. I was just talking to a woman that she, her very first experience of going to church was to her youth, to a youth group. And at this youth group, I guess the youth pastor was going around and he was praying, he was slaying people by the Spirit. And she said she saw people just falling over, falling over, and she's like, I better fall over too. So she just fell over too. Peer pressure. They do it for acceptance. Now, plus, I, I don't know, this may be kind of silly, but 
I think people would be less likely to yield to peer pressure if there weren't any catchers behind them. You know what I'm saying? If there's like a cold cement slab back there, I'd be like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do it this time. I'm just going to, I'm going to let them go. You know, I'm not going to receive anything from God today. I think the catcher's almost kind of like, just go ahead, just go ahead. We got you, we got you. All right, good. We, we got you. They lower him down. And it's just, it's like a power of suggestion once again. And, but the, these churches will say, well, we have catchers there in case somebody falls to the ground, smacks their head, and has a concussion, so they won't sue the church or the minister. Really? God would do that? God would hit somebody so hard they would smack back and have a concussion so that they'd sue the church? It sounds like something more the enemy would do. Well, guys, I wonder how many, you know, when you think about this, how many people do it because of peer pressure? I think there'd be a majority of that. Another reason is self-deception. Guys, it is possible to want something so much for this something to be of God that you convince yourself that it is of God and become a willing participant. Happens all the time. A fourth reason why I think people fall to the ground is because here's the simple dynamics of physics. They get pushed. They're getting shoved over. I, I've, you know, I've watched some of this stuff. A guy sitting there with his eyes closed. You know how it is when your eyes closed, you're kind of like waving around because you don't have very good balance, and all of a sudden somebody pops you in the head. Of course you're going to fall backwards. And then lastly, some people want to show everyone how spiritual they are. You know, some people are just phony. They just are. And they like to participate in all the latest religious fads. And to them it's a game that they play saying, look at me, see how spiritual I am. I'm laying on the ground almost unconscious because of the Holy Spirit of God. I must be really special to God. Now I'm sure that there are many more reasons, but simply put, because of these reasons, the psychological pressure to fall is so strong that it's almost impossible to not fall if you go to one of these services. Now, do I believe that God could knock someone to the ground in a semi-conscious state with the power of the Holy Spirit? Of course I do. God can do whatever He wants. In fact, in Scripture you see that when they came to arrest Jesus, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I am, which is His name. And it was like a little mini burst of His power and the entire detachment of soldiers fell to the ground. But they didn't fall to the ground in semi-unconsciousness in a trance. They didn't lay there for hours while Jesus ran off. They got right back up and they arrested Him. It was simply a display of His power. It was a mini burst of His power. So you can't use that as an example of being slain in the Spirit. Of course God could do that if He wanted to. Do I believe He's doing it over and over in these meetings? No, I do not. I just don't believe God is doing it in these situations. And you want to know why? Well, number one, we don't see it in Scripture. Number two, many of these people are coming for the experience of the manifestation for their own good and not for the good of the kingdom of God. In other words, they're just coming to get that feeling or whatever it is rather than the coming to be used and powered by the Spirit to go out and extend the kingdom of God. Thirdly, and this is a very important one, 
Guys, the Spirit is not someone who we commandeer and have Him do our bidding. In other words, we don't take Him and we go, bam, boom. We don't do that. He's not a baseball. He is the God of this universe. And He doesn't allow us to take control of Him to do what we want. He takes control of us. Amen? The last manifestation I want to talk about this morning is jerking in the Spirit which means just they're being violently jerked around by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now guys, this isn't, this isn't just... I mean, I might have that if you're going to say that. This, this is a guy, these people are up there going... And they're just walking around and then they're trying to pass in it and they're just you know, trying to pass the Spirit and everybody in this congregation is jerking around like that. Rob, my chiropractor's here. He may need to... Meet with me after this. I'm serious. This goes on. It's crazy. And they, they, they act like they're having seizures or what, what's that, Tourette syndrome. I mean, it's crazy. And they walk around this frenzy, shaking and jerking and passing it on to others. And guys, whew, that wore me out. <laughs> Maybe they're all doing it for losing weight. I don't know. But I'm sure this won't surprise you guys, but once again, you will not find this in Scripture. The only place that you will find something close to it is when Jesus is casting out a demon from someone. The demon would violently throw them to the ground and they would thrash on the ground. But once again, it wasn't the Holy Spirit doing that. It was the evil spirit doing it. Okay? I'm seriously out of breath. (laughs) Sorry. And yet people go to these conferences to see it and to experience it because they want to experience the Holy Spirit. And guys, can you blame them? Of course they do. We all want to. I, I know so many people coming, they're brand new believers and they want to just immerse themselves into the Spirit of God and be used by God and they go to these conferences and instantly they are deceived. And I believe that they're experiencing a whole different spirit. You know some of other unusual manifestations that are going on? You may not believe me on this, but there's barking in the Spirit. There's walking like a dog in the Spirit. There's actually, you'll see videos, you can look online, they'll put leashes around people, and they'll be walking them down the aisles, and they'll be, and they're howling and barking, and they're doing it in the Spirit. There's giving birth in the Spirit. Well, they're laying on the ground in labor pains and they're like birth something. I don't, I don't think anything comes out, but they're just they're doing it. Laboring in the Spirit. Another thing that they do is, is vomiting in the Spirit. Wouldn't want to be the janitor in that church, I'll tell you that right now. But yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's going on, which clearly, in my opinion, looks more demonic than anything else. And as I said, We're not going to be able to look at all these things and discuss them one by one and try to debate them. But there's a lot of things that the enemy's trying to do in this world today that, guys, we need to be careful of. And hopefully you're catching the drift here. The enemy has infiltrated churches and set up counterfeit spirits. Counterfeit spirits that that are trying to imitate the Holy Spirit and they're providing people with all sorts of experiences. 
And people by the thousands are being deceived into thinking that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this for them when in all reality it's the enemy. And this is causing all sorts of disarray and confusion and disruption in the church, which that looks like who? Satan. That's what he's all about. It's exactly what he tries to do. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is, it says that in later days, many will be deceived, will be led away by deceiving spirits, and they'll follow things taught by demons. Guys, that's what's happening. False prophets are standing up behind pulpits led by demonic forces leading people away from the truth. And they're doing it by way of experience. Luring people into that. And guys, rather than being filled by the Spirit of God and live out a life of love and joy and peace and gentleness and patience and long-suffering and self-control and all the gifts that have also been offered to Christians are opting for the counterfeit. And the world sits by and laughs at us. And the kingdom of darkness sits by and laughs at us. Can you imagine how the kingdom of darkness would laugh at a child of God walking on all fours, barking like a dog? That would be the greatest thing in the world for him. Guys, We cannot allow that in our midst. We will not allow that in our midst. The leadership of this church is always looking for it. You know, I've actually had guys come into my office and say, Luke, what we really need to allow happen here at Whitestone, we need to really pray for it, is that we would get such an anointing that all of our fillings in our mouth would turn to gold. I'm serious. Or that gems would appear out of nowhere. Just an anointing of the Holy Spirit. People have come in and said we should really pray that we'd get this holy laughter. And we've had to stand. I've had to stand before friends and say, no, we won't allow that. Not in this church. It's not coming from the Holy Spirit. Some have left and walked away because they're ticked off and they're saying, Luke, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not. Not according to the Word of God, I'm not. We need to stand cognizant that the enemy is at work and he's trying to infiltrate our church and to destroy us. Guys, here's the deal. We do not believe that it's appropriate to add or take away from the Word of God. The Word says test all things. And we believe that the Word alone is the standard for the test. Certainly, God moves in supernatural ways. Of course, we've seen it here in our own midst. He's done it. And yes, Jesus Christ is really the same yesterday, today, and forever. What He did in the days of the Bible, He can and He still does today. Jesus is our example, and He's our model for living and ministering. Everything that the Spirit did through Him, we should expect the Spirit to be doing through the church. Nothing less and nothing more. The signs and wonders of the church in the book of Acts displayed were healings. They were casting out demons. Various miracles and gifts of the Spirit. However, there is never a single mention of holy laughter or slain in the Spirit, or drunken, or staggering, or jerking in the Spirit, or any other unusual manifestation that we see today happening going on in churches around us. In the ministry of Jesus or the apostles. Nowhere. And guys, the truth in this matter is not hard to understand. Jesus is the truth. He is the exact representation of the Father. The Word that became flesh. The will of God revealed. 
He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the standard for truth. He is our example. He is our pattern. Our lives and our ministries here at Whitestone should be modeled after His life and His ministry. We are to carry on the work that He began. And the same Spirit that worked in Jesus is the One who works in us too. To produce the will of God, and listen to me here, to glorify the Son of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies the Son of God. And everything that happened in Jesus' ministry should happen in ours as well. And if it didn't happen in His ministry, then we should avoid it. So, I say this this morning as your pastor, as your shepherd, as someone who loves you very, very much. If you've been delving into any kind of this stuff that I've mentioned today, man, I just want to caution you. Be very, very careful. Do not be deceived. The enemy is crafty. He knows how badly we want to experience the supernatural and he is more than willing to offer a cheap counterfeit. But it comes with a price. Don't buy into it. Hold it up to Scripture. Put it through the filters we talked about. And I mean this. If you have any questions or you want to talk to me about it or any of the elders about it, that's what we're here for is to help protect the flock from the enemy who is a roaring lion who is seeking who he can devour any chance he can, but he masquerades himself as an angel of light. He is sneaky. And he looks good. But he is so bad. So let's make sure that we're seeking and we're following the Holy Spirit and not just any other spirit. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And God, we know that the enemy is all around us and he is trying to imitate You, but he can't even come close to imitating You because You are the Creator. You are the Most High God. You are in a class all by Yourself. And so God, I, I ask and I pray that You would protect us from evil, from evil people, and the evil one. I pray that You'd protect us from His deception and that Your Holy Spirit would be poured out on us in such a way that we'd be lights in a very dark world and that You would use us to extend our kingdom and may none of us want to extend our kingdom. So I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright guys, I love you so very, very much. Have an awesome week and we'll see you next Sunday.